0: Broadcasting live from the PHX.FM studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you with the right people. I'm Adrian McIntyre. Today's show is another installment in our mini-series on financial topics, brought to you by the team at Wild Wealth Management Group, an award-winning independent financial advisory firm that provides comprehensive retirement, investment, real estate, insurance, legal, and tax planning services all under one roof. Each Wednesday, professionals from the firm and their trusted partners delve into topics ranging from retirement and the stock market to college planning, real estate, and insurance. Today, we're talking about surviving market swings, market volatility. And joining me for this conversation is Michael Obinoff, an investment advisor representative with Wild Wealth Management Group. Michael, we met you earlier uh, in the program. Welcome back. It's nice to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate it and I look forward to another discussion today.
0: Market volatility is something that is not hypothetical or theoretical. It is a very real part of what happens in the broader economic picture. Certainly in our lifetime, we have seen some major market moves up and down. And this, of course, affects people's finances in a very direct way. Let's start with a more general approach to this topic. When we talk about market volatility, what are we really talking about? What causes it? What are the impacts of it?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of things play into market volatility. Have we, as we've seen this year, especially, uh, we found out that a virus or a pandemic uh, had a major impact on the market. Uh, from February 18th, S and P 500 was at uh, had a 33 percent decline up until March 23rd, and and it, that was mostly virus related, but in a, Addition to that, we see volatility from just political uncertainty, uh, international relations or conflicts, um, interest rates, uh, economic shifts, a lot of different things play a factor. And I think this year, a lot of that was obviously due to the coronavirus.
0: One of the things that is a challenge for investors is that we have emotions. We have brains. Those brains tell us things sometimes that aren't true uh, and and often lead us to make some bad decisions. I mean, it's not only with regard to finances that that plays a role in our human experience, but certainly when it comes to big market swings, uh, there's a tendency for that emotionality to take over. What do you see in that situation? What do you counsel people to do or not do about it?
1: Yeah, this is something I see quite often. And I'm even uh, one of the people that has this issue at times, just like everybody. I think it's human nature uh, to have an emotional tie to certain things, especially when it comes to money and your finances and basically your overall living situation. And the biggest thing I see is people reacting to market volatility strictly based off of emotion. There are people that think that the market's going down and it's never coming back. And unfortunately, that can oftentimes lead to decision-making that is very detrimental to your long-term goals and objectives uh, financially related. And I think people have a tendency to pull their money out when, in some cases, they should be adding money. Now, not all, it depends on everybody's situation, but I think the emotional factor hurts people far too often. I see that mainly when I see people that are managing their own accounts or their own finances.
0: Yeah. One of the kind of well-known strategies for dealing with market volatility is just to put your money in and leave it alone. Don't look at it. The, don't, you know, buy and hold kind of idea. And, uh, the, that's hard to do when there's so much news, so much information. If you take a peek at the big number at the bottom of the balance sheet and you see that it's been cut in half, uh, you know the tendency is to think, oh my gosh, I have to get out now uh, before I lose the other half. Uh, when, as you say, that might not be the best decision for people. Obviously, we're not giving specific personal financial advice on this show. That's something people need to talk about with a professional like yourself in a in a one-on-one conversation. But what can people do to defend themselves from not only making bad decisions, but also from those big swings in an unstable market?
1: Yeah, Adrian, I think it ultimately comes down to having a financial plan and having a sound understanding of, okay, there is volatility and there's going to be volatility at times. There's going to be days when your account's way down and there's going to be days when your account's way up. But I think having the foundation of what you're doing be based around a financial plan will help limit some of that emotional impact. Because you can see that some of these other things that we have designed for these times are doing their job, while some of the other things may not be doing as good of a job. So I think building the plan, knowing that there's going to be uncertainty, and maybe being able to take advantage of some of that volatility, if you're, if you're able, uh, is going to be the most beneficial thing that you can do.
0: I mean, it's counterintuitive, especially for people that don't have investment experience to realize that when markets are down, that means some stocks are on sale and can be acquired for a a, a, a lower price. Uh, Certainly over the years, we've seen many of these big moves. Um, What's the advantage of working with someone like you, how do you help people navigate this? Because nobody has a crystal ball, right? You you don't, I don't, We, we can't predict the future. That's simply unknowable, but yet a plan can set you up in a way that helps you benefit from the increases and avoid some of the big losses. How does that work?
1: Yeah, so I think it's based around, okay, well, what do we think is the reason that these stocks or the market in general is going down? What's driving that? And then ultimately, what is coming out on top? Because there are, as we've seen just from this pandemic, is technology is on fire right now. A lot of the economic data has been poor at different times throughout the year, but we've seen technology just absolutely on fire. And I think people are realizing that Not only has it been big for the last 10 years, but it's only going to be bigger and bigger. And I think that's what we're seeing in why some of these things are coming up so high is that people are taking advantage of that dip when the market was down so far and they're getting rewarded for basically doing it. It's not easy emotionally to go in there when something's down so far. It's not easy to go in there and buy XYZ stock down 20% and have it go down another 10. Like if you were to bought in the S&P 500 when it was down 20%, it still went down another 13 at a particular point between February and March. So it's not that easy to see that go down right after you put money in. But as we've seen historically, most things tend to come back up. And it's some of the time it's a matter of how long it will take. But if we're doing it educated with an educated reasoning behind why we're doing it, knowing what the possibilities for opportunity could be, I think that was going to is what's going to put you ahead. And I think it's very hard for someone to do that. That's managing their own money by themselves. And I'm not saying that nobody can manage their money by themselves. But what I'm saying is it's a lot harder to make that kind of strategic decision when you have the only one helping you to make that decision and you have such an emotional tie to
0: it. Michael, in your first appearance on the podcast, you shared a little bit of of your own backstory. For folks that didn't hear that episode, tell us a little bit about how you got started in investing and kind of what your journey has been like along the way.
1: Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, it was caddying, cutting grass in the neighborhood from age 13 till, well, I guess I had a job ever since then, but I was trying to buy my own car and whatnot when I was 16 and was trying to find ways to save money. I knew my dad was doing stock stuff. He did not do stocks as a full-time job or anything. He just did it a little bit on his own in addition to having a financial planner because he wanted to do some stuff on his own. And so I just decided I wanted to start doing some of that as well. Um, Went to college, ended up uh, not doing what I majored in because I loved it, doing stock market stuff, financial planning stuff so much that I ended up ultimately getting into this career and it's probably one of the best things I've done.
0: I used to tell my students that um, I've never learned anything except the hard way. And I think that that's true with my own experience with investing as well. I mean, some of the most important things that I now believe to be true, I learned by making some big mistakes uh, and and paying the price tag for that knowledge. Uh, what are some of the things that you learned along the way that now help inform the way you guide and advise and counsel your clients?
1: Yeah, so early on, uh, put a large chunk of money in instead of dollar cost averaging it. And what I mean by dollar cost averaging it is putting in a chunk maybe every two weeks every three weeks or once a month or every six months to take advantage of some of the volatility that there may be without going and putting it all in right away and having it go down 20%. Unfortunately, that's what I did. uh, And I learned from that 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 probably was not the wisest move because had I been dollar cost averaging, I would have been out ahead much quicker than I was because I went in at pretty much the all-time high at that point in time back in high school. So I think uh, having a plan around dollar cost averaging, unless there's a strategic reason as to why you're buying a particular position with such a large chunk of money is, I think, the biggest thing I learned, uh, which has helped me immensely, especially with my clients and understanding how we're going to invest into these positions.
0: You're a coach at heart, uh, and you often find yourself, whether at the hockey rink or or working with uh, financial clients, really kind of coming up alongside them and trying to help people reach their goals. Uh, What do you love about that? And how does the on the ice experience inform some of the conversations you have in the office?
1: Yeah, great question. So yeah, I played hockey my entire life since basically three years old. Uh, Got back out to Arizona, wanted to have something to do away from my full-time job uh, and wanted it to be in developing the youth and helping them uh, with coaching and whatnot. Uh, They play at the highest level for their age uh, and something that I had experience with. So I wanted to help them. And just the conversations you have with them. I think the biggest reward is seeing the stepping stones that they make versus being better than everybody else. I think when you see a kid that isn't as ahead development-wise or whatever the case may be, it's the progress he's made throughout the year or the progress he's made doing a certain drill or small things like that. And it's the same thing with my prospects or clients because not everybody has... There's people that I have prospects or clients that I have conversations with that really just don't understand the market or how it works or why they're doing what they're doing when they come in and have a conversation. I think seeing them progress in their understanding is extremely rewarding because then it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. I get why we're doing that. And okay, I understand why it doesn't make sense to do it that way and just seeing them progress and okay, well now I feel comfortable even saving more money and just seeing the small stepping stones to get to their goals and then ultimately reach and accomplish those goals is the most rewarding thing.
0: You know, I swam competitively as a kid and, uh, my favorite trophy I still have here at the house says most improved boy, seven eight categories from 1981 or something like that. Uh, I think there's a tendency to focus on the superstars, on the standout examples of performance, uh, but it's that most improved category that can be really interesting. And when you think about the your your approach to investing, the goal is not to just grab the one you know star-studded trophy, right? There's so much available in those incremental gains and a smart plan can help you get there.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Michael, one of the things I know is important to you is the work you do in the community. And you've been appointed to the Scottsdale Active 2030 Club, which is a unique organization. Tell us a little bit about that. Who's involved and what kind of work do you do?
1: It's a group of 20 to 40 year olds, basically capped at 50 gentlemen. uh, And our whole goal is to raise money for local children's charities. Uh, Our three main charity partners are Playworks, Boys Hope, Girls Hope, and the Care Fund. So we have three events every year, uh, agents benefiting children, brokers for kids, and then we have Night Flight, which is our event in the fall, which is generally a a golf event as well as a gala. And This year, unfortunately, due to COVID, we're not going to be able to do the gala. But in years past, that's been one of our biggest events uh, that's been hosted at whether it was Talking Stick, Resort, Casino, uh, or uh, the W in Scottsdale. Um, And we do other events throughout the year, whether it's uh, Kids Spree, which is where we take a bunch of kids from Boys and Girls Club of Greater Scottsdale and take them basically on a shopping spree for back-to-school timeframe where they can buy backpacks or... Pencils or shoes or clothes for school and just to see their faces light up and the impact that we have for them and seeing how happy they are and how appreciative they are, I think is the main thing, which is awesome. And it's just great involvement, great group of guys, and it's a pleasure to be involved in such a great organization.
0: It's a wonderful cause indeed. Michael Obanoff is an investment advisor representative with Wild Wealth Management Group. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Adrian. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Valley Business Radio on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at valleybusinessradio.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. Wild Wealth Management Group has ranked as one of the top advisors for the 12th consecutive year on Barron's Top 1200 Financial Advisors ranked number one in Arizona for 2020. Award recipient, Trevor Wilde, financial advisor at Wilde Wealth Management Group. Barron's top 1200 advisors. Over 4,000 advisors who wish to be ranked fill out a 102 question survey about their practice. Data is verified and then applied to a ranking formula. The ranking reflects the volume of assets overseen by the advisors and their teams, revenues generated for the firms, and the quality of the advisor's practices. The scoring system assigns a top score of 100 and rates the rest by comparing them with the top ranked advisor. Listing in this publication and or award is not a guarantee of future investment success. This recognition should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer, and a registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. 7025 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 115, Scottsdale, Arizona, 85253.